Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Before we kick off today's episode, a quick shout out to the fabulous Dominique Hess, who put me in touch with Jenny, who you are going to hear from today about the board's role in regenerative economy. Dominique reached out to me that this might be an interesting topic and got together a small group of people, Morgana Ryan, Elaine Montegriffo, myself, Dominique, of course, and Jenny, who you'll hear from today. That conversation was just fabulously interesting and insightful. And from that, I thought that it would be great to get Jenny on the show to talk through some of her insights about regenerative economies. So you'll hear from her in just a moment. But as I say, shout out to Dominique. Thank you for being such a fabulous supporter of the Take On Board podcast. And if you've got ideas for any guests you might like us to have on the show or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to get in touch. My contact details are in the show notes. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Jenny Anderson about the role of boards in creating regenerative economies. First, let me tell you about Jenny. Jenny is on the board of Coast to Capital, an organisation that seeks to ensure that their local towns and cities are known around the world as fantastic places to live. She's a creative strategist and trusted advisor who has worked with global brands, scale-ups and start-ups for over 30 years on communications and sustainability strategies. Today, she concentrates on working with organisations that are accelerating a shift from sustainability to regenerative strategies. Jenny is CEO of We Activate the Future, a strategy and narrative development consultancy, and she's co-founder of the Really Regenerative Centre, a community interest company helping business and citizens of Sussex to develop resilient, integrated and regenerative economies and ecologies through learning journeys which explore the potential of place. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Jenny. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to this. It is fantastic to have you here. Now, Jenny, before we talk about the role of boards in creating regenerative economies, I'd love to just explore a little bit more about you. 
Can you tell me about young Jenny and tell me a story about that that gives us a bit of an insight about how you got to where you are today? I was born in Brixton in south of London, which when I was born in the 60s was a really poor community, but it was a very multi-ethnic, multicultural community, probably one of the first areas in Britain that had an influx of the Windrush generation. And on the street where I lived, we had uh, people from the Caribbean, we had people from Nigeria, we had people from Portugal, and we all got along absolutely fine. Of course, we had different cultural histories, but we had one thing in common in that, you know, we were poor. And so we all got along well. I mean, obviously I was a child, but what I think it developed in me, what it made me very aware of at an early age was difference is okay. And multiculturalism was normal to me before it was even a word. I grew up with a lot of different cultures around me, a lot of different people. And I saw how what is common to them, to people brings them together. So I, I grew up with a very strong feeling of inclusion being important, inclusion and diversity being important. And I think that's something that I carried with me into my career, again, long before diversity and inclusion was important to boards or important to organisations. I'm really grateful that I grew up with it as a natural instinct for me. Um, I didn't have to learn how important diversity is to creating innovation and creativity in a business. I didn't have to learn the value of inclusion. Of course, you still have to be enormously mindful of it and mindful of things like that organizations impose on themselves like quotas. But I think if you grew up in an environment where it's natural to you, it's an instinct rather than a learned response. I took that with me and that still is very, very, even though I don't work in diversity and inclusion and I never worked in HR, it was always valuable to me, particularly when building brand strategies with my uh, first business, my creative agency, to really understand its value and advertising, public relations, communications in the 80s and 90s, and possibly even still today, is still a predominantly white business. You have to remember to bring in the minority voice, and the minority voice is almost always where creativity and innovation comes from. It's that fire at the edges kind of thing. Well, two things. A, what a fantastic lesson to have with you from childhood that diversity is strength, diversity and inclusion is strength, and what a lost opportunity for those areas that don't have it because you're right, it's the basis for innovation and creativity and new ideas and, and so on. So, I mean, organisations are working really incredibly hard to understand diversity and inclusion and how to do it. You know, I, I think we can be a bit clunky about it at times. You know, quotas, legislation is always, in many ways, a last resort to effect change. But, you know, and I, I, I've never been necessarily one for, oh, we must have 50% women and 50% men, or, or we, you know, do we have multicultural inclusion here? And, you know, tokenism is not the same as ensuring that everybody has the same opportunities in society. It's a different thing. It's a, it's a clunky solution to a complex problem. 
I tend to agree that it is a clunky solution. I confess I'm a fan of quotas, but I think that I think that's only because other ways of, of uh, ensuring equality and inclusion, and inclusion don't seem to have worked very well. Um, I would love it if we didn't have a need for quotas. I agree. You know, it is a necessary intervention, but you wish it wasn't. Absolutely. <laughs> so today we're talking about the role of the board in creating regenerative economies. And I'm wondering first, you can just tell us, what is a regenerative economy? I can certainly give it a go. The regenerative field is wide and it encompasses lots of different disciplines from things like permaculture and eco-villages right up to global business. So for me, I would describe a regenerative economy as one in which businesses act intentionally to regenerate a degenerated landscape. So to put right where we have overshot planetary boundaries in terms of the ecology and the environment that we live in and depend on. But it's also one other thing, and that is intentionally committing to developing the best potential of the human spirit. And those two things, I think, need to come together inside organisations. And what we find currently is some organisations are working very hard at their planetary impacts through their sustainability departments, through the circular economy. And others are working hard at being deliberately developmental organisations. So really committing to helping people grow as human beings, helping them self-escalate through self-actualize through the levels of human psychological development. But very few are doing both. And I genuinely believe if we can bring those two strands together in organizations, we will create better organizations for the future of the human experience on Earth. In doing that, in bringing those strands together and you know, creating a really regenerative economy. What is the role of the board? What, what can boards do to support, encourage and motivate this? Really good question. I think the first thing is about learning and education for boards themselves mm-hmm. is we are appointed to boards for, for different reasons. So the first thing is the design of boards is having more and different people with different levels of experience on boards that have been learning about the regenerative economy or starting perhaps to learn about the circular economy. Many of the boards that I've sat on tend to be comprised of people from a specific discipline. On a skills board, you'll have people from human resources. On a leadership board, you might have, again, people from human resources. But I think that we need to create boards that are wider in their experience, particularly including people who have a systemic level of experience that our business relates to. So let me give you an example. If you're IKEA, for example, Mm -hmm. what's your systemic potential to regenerate? Your systemic potential to regenerate is looking at the product lines that you develop. What are they dependent on? They're dependent on forests. They're dependent on sheep and wool. They're dependent on cotton and linen. So you have a systemic opportunity and responsibility 
to look at your impact on those parts of nature and put into your strategic plan a regenerative, regenerative capacity. But if you don't have anybody on your board that comes from that background, that has a deep understanding of how a forest system works in a global landscape, then you don't have anyone to go to for advice. So I think the first is about composition of boards. It's really looking at something different. And I'm working with a number of small companies in the UK who are actually creating regenerative economy boards, specific boards that are there to look at how the company operates in the wider systemic world and support them with knowledge and advice. Another thing is is perhaps to almost create internal boards that may not be boards in the traditional sense, in that they may not have a legislative and legal responsibility, but developing a core global board inside a business that is comprised of people from all different disciplines and is additional and to their uh, day job, if you like, but has responsibility to hold the company to account for its impact on human potential and its impact on the ecology and environment, I think is also an interesting approach um, and different approach. And again, uh, companies like Seventh Generation, I don't know if you have that in Australia, but I think that you do, have been doing that for a number of decades through the auspices of a fantastic board advisor called Carol Sanford. You know, I think that's, that's another way to look at it. Hmm. I, I had a conversation very recently with somebody about the role of advisory boards and advisory boards versus boards of governance. And I think what I'm hearing from you is those advisory boards, once they're freed of the legal obligations of being a director, might be able to be more open to some of these creative and innovative conversations. I think there is that. And, you know, we actually met when we were talking about what is the future of governance and what what does governance look like in a regenerative economy? And, and, you know, and I think we have to be prepared to really think differently about what the role of boards can be. And I, I do wonder if that very traditional board role that has a, a directorial responsibility, which comes with fiscal responsibility and profit driving and growth objectives, all not bad things in themselves, but things that we have to really think about and consider uh, around the question of what is enough. And that is a huge question for business and for boards to grasp, because traditionally, again, boards have been there to help companies grow and develop. And, you know, on a finite planet under threat of extinction, the biggest question boards can ask of their organisations is, what is enough? And, and, and how do we answer that question? Absolutely. It is, it, yeah, it's key, isn't it? And, and for me, it's the balance between short-term and long-term thinking. And the long-term thinking for an organisation might have different things that they think about as compared to some of that short-term thinking. From the organisations that you've observed, what has helped them to really consider that what is enough question? Well, we're in an interesting period at this moment. And I think, so prior to COVID-19, prior to the pandemic, I think things like the climate change movement 
that growing social movement led by Extinction Rebellion or Greta Thunberg, that social wave of unrest about the what could happen with climate change in the future was starting to permeate just a small amount into board and organizational thinking, whether you're organizing, you know, you're, you're a city municipality or a global business board. And you could start to see some long-term thinking being brought into board strategy and board advisory boards. I mean, I, I was brought on to the Coast to Capital Board for just that reason, mm. um, because I had a very long-term and different view of what skills development in our locale should be. But what we are seeing currently is an immediate shift back to the immediate and the short term. Mm. And that is natural. When you think back to 2008, we saw something rather similar, and we've been carrying that headache for long enough, is that when people are under threat, they retrench very quickly into survival consciousness and to survival action. And certainly in our landscape in Sussex uh, at the moment, where I sit on Coastal Capitals Board, you know, we face a potential threat of long-term unemployment for a generation of young people. So we have to address that. We have to uh, look at that immediate need. And there is a real potential that whilst we're looking at the immediate and urgent fallout of COVID-19, that we take our eye off the ball of the long-term future, that everything that we'd started to build to think about, you know, what does a future landscape of skills look like for a developing regenerative economy will get lost in the scrabble to restructure and reorganize and try to find some way to create jobs and develop employment opportunities for young people. And I think at that point in time, a board's responsibility is to really dig in and not allow itself to become a rubber stamp for immediate and urgent action, even though we understand that that's required, to remember that we are actually working towards a long-term stable future and that that is inevitably going to look very different to the past. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think that is really important for boards to develop is a capacity to do scenario planning and to influence scenario planning. When you're building on forecasting, you're looking at what has occurred in the past and building your strategies on that, you are inevitably building for the future based on a different scenario that has happened in the past. So you can't build creative solutions if they're based on data and strategies that were in past cultures or past occurrences. So I think bringing scenario planning into boards would be a very interesting strategy. So you've mentioned in Coast to Capital there, and of course I, I touched on it in the introduction. If you could tell us about what that organisation does and also, you know, you've, you've talked there about that for yourselves around that balance between short-term and long-term thinking. How's your organisation, how is that organisation making sure they keep their eye on the long-term in their thinking? Well, Coaster Capital is what's called um, a local economic partnership. So it's a government organisation. And we have a number of those throughout the UK that are responsible for putting in place the local industrial strategy that falls out of the government's 
national economic strategy. And certainly at Costa Capital, the local industrial strategy was delayed by the COVID outbreak because we've had to really look at it again. And I sit on the skills advisory board. And inevitably, we have to take into account the first immediate thing that you have to do is go back and look at your data and your possibilities and projections and scenario plans of what might actually happen in your locale. Um, and in our region, we were particularly hit because one of the big drivers of our region is the second largest airport in the UK, which is Gatwick Airport. Gatwick Airport has suffered a catastrophic shutdown because of COVID-19. And it certainly will not open up and is not opening up at the same capacity. And that has a massive knock-on effect on the entire region. And certainly, to a degree, the skills strategy for our region is driven by that huge economic centre. So we are having to look at short-term action and short-term thinking But I think because the board has been comprised of very varied and very diverse set of people, people uh, such as myself who come from smaller businesses and whose businesses are focused on future uh, strategy, businesses like Gatwick Airport that are also on the advisory board. But we don't just have people from human resources. We have people from education. We have people from technology so that we can look at all aspects of what we might do in a region and we meet regularly and we correspond regularly and I think people on the board do over and above what is expected of the board to look at potential creative solutions. Now it's very difficult for the organisation itself to continue to take on board at this moment in time those what you would call right on the edge creative solutions because we don't know until the dust settles what the investment landscape is going to look like that is going to change but what I think is important is that Costa Capital as a LEP is probably one of the better LEPs doing it really focuses on building long-term relationships Um, And another organization, bizarrely enough, that did this very well is the Center for Epidemic Preparedness. And they stepped into scenario planning from forecasting a couple of years ago. One of the things that they focused on was understanding that in in an emergency, what gets you through an emergency is relationships is that you have diverse and wide relationships in place right across your industry because you don't have time to build friendships and relationships in an emergency that have to be there. If you are struggling with relationships, you're dead in the water. It's not going to work for you. And Coastal Capital is very good at that, has spent a number of years now building relationships up right across the economy so that they are in place when an emergency hits, not that we predicted this particular one, I don't think anyone necessarily predicted it other than virologists who've been trying to tell governments what was going to happen for ages. And that is another way in which a board can be very influential is to continue to build relationships on behalf of the organisation. It might seem a little facile, it might seem a little fluffy to be doing networking that doesn't look as if it's ever going to be necessary until it is necessary. And then you know, you know the strengths of your relationships support you through difficult times. Absolutely. You'll get no argument out of me that I think a key 
role for any group, any organisation is those relationships and building those relationships. So on that point, just what's your view about what the board's role is in building those relationships? What's appropriate for boards to do in this space? And indeed, what might not be appropriate for boards to do in terms of building relationships? I think it comes down to transparency of communication. So first off, you you know, you can't go off building relationships on behalf of your organisation without the permission of the chair. And it's something that I think needs to be on the board's agenda on a regular basis is, you know, what relationships do we need in what scenarios? What don't we have? And whose responsibility is it to build those relationships? Now, that could be quite challenging for a board chair if they've got somebody on their board that might be considered a little uh, more creative, a little bit more maverick, someone, someone like me. You know, you don't want to think a board's responsibility around governance and reputation is really important. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about the transparency of and having the conversations at a senior level about what is needed and whose responsibility it is and who's going to, you know, who's going to take that on and how those relationships are going to be built. Because they, they have to be above board, they have to be visible, and they have to be for a clear reason. Jenny, this has been such a helpful conversation, I think, for people to think long-term, to think strategically and indeed regeneratively about boards and what they should be doing. What are the key points that you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Well, I think firstly that to start to think differently about what a board's role could be, Mm. particularly advisory boards. And to start to look at advice and input that you might have considered not as necessary or not as important. Mm -hmm. So almost like a futurist board is what is our company's role going to be in the future and how is that future going to unfold? It is shifting from a just-in-time to a just-in-case mentality in a way is what kind of boards do we need for the kind of scenarios that might play out in the future? Mm. And I think COVID-19 has been a really wake-up call from that point of view. I think if we look at what COVID-19 has done to businesses, the impact that it's had, what kind of a board would you build that would be better placed to respond to that kind of emergency? Because more will come. That is the inevitability of the path of uh, impact of climate change, because we've taken our eyes slightly off the ball of climate change while we've been dealing with this. But that is an inevitable path. That's the first thing. And probably being a little more courageous with the mix of people Mm. that you bring into boards, even considering bringing in more young people who have a very different perspective on the future than seasoned business people do. I think could be interesting for boards. But above all, really, to keep the focus on that diversity of thoughts, that diversity of a device, and that mix of different thinking that you can get if you step outside the kind of normal average board setup, which is of people who have built and grown and uh, developed 
businesses, you know, so one or two people who are likely to ask you difficult questions and make, create space for that mm. and allow it to happen. That those, you know, how much is enough? Those, how is colonialism represented in our business and what do we need to do about it? Mm. Yes. Are we really genuinely diverse? What is our cosmology as a board? What do we really believe? Bringing those questions, which are deep leadership questions, into an organisation through a board, I think, could be very interesting. And is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Certainly for anybody who is interested in learning about the regenerative economy, uh, do go to a website called connector.com and look for the regenerative community. There's a whole series of podcasts there with different leaders in regenerative thinking from business through to regenerative agriculture and leadership. That's a great resource. If you're a reader and you like Medium, we have a platform called Activate the Future on which we've got a number of different writers who write on everything from developmental psychology, uh, evolutionary biology, regenerative business, systems thinking, all of that, you can find lots of different articles there, which uh, both of those would hopefully be helpful. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I put a link to both of those in the show notes for the episode today. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today uh, in having this conversation. Like I say, I think there are just many pearls of wisdom in there for people in thinking about that really long-term view um, and strategic thinking for boards. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're welcome. It was a good early start for me to the day. Thanks for having me. Hi there, it's Helia. There's another Take On Board event coming up very soon on Wednesday the 26th of August. This time we'll be hearing from Linda White. Linda is the Assistant National Secretary of the Australian Services Union and she'll be sharing with us her reflections about the voluntary administration of Virgin Airlines this year and also on the voluntary administration of ANSET almost two decades ago, one of the biggest corporate collapses in Australian history. It is sure to be a fascinating discussion and whilst you might hear some of it on the podcast in future, you probably won't hear all of it. There will be some stories that I'm sure she will share under Chatham House rules. So get in and book. There is a link in the show notes and super early bird tickets close this week. So get in soon. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.